Uh, Good morning, everyone. Our first Bible reading this morning is Luke chapter 15, which is on page 962. Um, I'll be reading verses 1 to 10, the first of the two, or the first and second parables of things that have been lost and then found. So, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he's found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbours together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who don't need repentance. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls her women, friends, and neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I've found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. And continuing on, the parable of the lost son. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and travelled to a distant country where where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger." I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back 
safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who had devoured your assets with prostitutes, who you slaughtered the fattened calf for him, Son, he said to him, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Word. Father, thank you that you speak to us. And I pray this morning that we'll hear you so we'll understand ourselves in response to you and that we'll see you for who you truly are. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It would be easy to have the perception that Christianity is for the down and out and not for the up and coming. Very easy to have the perception that it's for people who really don't have things together, are in great need. And so Christianity comes along and gives you something, maybe some kind of prop, that when you're down, there's only one way to reach, and that's up. And so it is easy also to think it's not for those who have life together and have no need to reach anywhere, let alone up. But what this parable does that Jesus told is to remind us that at the same time we're never beyond the reach of God's grace, that we're never beyond the need of God's grace. We're never beyond the reach of God's grace, but we're never beyond the need of God's grace. That at your worst days, they are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. But your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. So let's get into this story that Jesus told. And we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 15 to hear really why he's telling this story. And it's around the two groups of people that are present. Verse 1, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here you've got two groups, two kinds of people and their response to Jesus. It's no mistake that what we've got is a little bit of a glimpse of their heart response, the tax collectors and sinners inclined to Jesus, humbly listening. The Pharisees and the scribes, and this is always an indicator of people who are proud and self-righteous, complaining, complaining. 
So Jesus tells this story to two kinds of people. Two groups of people who are listening. Tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and scribes, who were then represented in the story of the two sons or the two brothers. The younger son, obviously the tax collector and sinner's representative, and the older son or older brother, the Pharisee and teachers of the law representative. So we need to look at these two brothers as, as the way to understand the two groups and their response to Jesus, and so understand the two groups of people who are also represented here today, because that's why Jesus is telling the story. That's why you're here today. So we'll be able to understand ourselves, and most importantly, who God is and our response to him. So let's look at them, the younger son. The opening scene of this story begins with this son making a demand. You would have picked that up. That's how it opens, the son making a demand. Father, give me my share of the estate. I want what's coming to me, not then, but now. He wants the money he would get when his father dies. It's not just some sort of disrespectful request, but more than that, essentially he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Let's be upfront and clear and direct. That's essentially what he's saying. He wanted to live life his way. He did not want to be under the control of his father. He couldn't kind of get rid of his father, but he could live as though he was dead, and that's what he wanted. You'd have to say his relationship to his father to this point has been a way of enjoying his father's stuff or his wealth and that's it, not actually enjoying the father. And so he's had enough, he wants out. Give me what's mine. What's the father's response? Okay. He divides the property and he gets what's coming to him now. Goes off to a far country and he parties very hard, whatever that might look like. Clothes, cars, movies, women. And of course the money runs out. There's a natural disaster with a famine. and he, So he ends up in a worse place than he could have otherwise been. And that is, then he ends up in the mud with the pigs. Things go from bad to worse, don't they? He makes a break for freedom and self-discovery apart from his father but he ends up with with none. No freedom. Well, is a bit of self-discovery but it's not what he thought he would discover. Now, he can't even choose what he eats. Apparently, when the astronauts were preparing to go up into the Skylab space station, there was a space vehicle simulator. And so astronauts would be placed in there with, with no gravity, and they did an experiment where they were placed in the middle of this space vehicle, and they were told that they had to try and get to the wall in front of them. And so, of course, they tried uh, moving their arms, spinning, somersaulting, only to stop and be in the same position where they started. 
there was a level of apparent freedom, but actually they were in bondage to the centre of their own gravity. So it would seem to be the case with this younger son. It seems to be some freedom, but really he's in bondage to his own self, his own centre of gravity, if you like. Many of us are the same. That's what Jesus is saying. Some here are represented by this son. You make a break for freedom and self-discovery only to find we are not free at all. Is that you? Then there's the older brother. The scene with him begins, starts with him finding out his brother has returned home and his response to that is awesome. Great to have the younger brother home. No. It says there he was angry. He was angry finding this news out. Lots of things to notice here. Notice, although he has been at home with his father, making you think he has a relationship with him, he doesn't go and ask him, that is his father, what's going on. He asks the slaves or the servants as if somehow he's got relationship with him, with them as if he's a slave or a servant instead of his father. And that would seem to be the case. The younger son wanted to return home and thought he should become a slave or a servant, but the older son's at home living as if he is a slave or a servant. He refuses to go into the party. It's an expression not only of his disappointment, but his strong disapproval of the the welcome the father has given the younger son. He's saying, Father, you've done the wrong thing. He's upset even at the cost of the property. Verse 29, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See what's going on. He's been adding up all his years of service calculating he's owed a lot where his brother has done nothing to earn anything but he got everything he's been doing everything and it seems he's got nothing I've never disobeyed I've got rights I deserve, I deserve, I deserve he doesn't even talk to his father as his loving respected father but just says look Might as well be saying, look you, whoever you are. This is what I've been doing and you, whoever you are, owe me this. If the youngest son's rebellion is outside the home, out of relationship with the father, the older brother's rebellion is inside the home, but still in rebellion to the father, in no relationship to him. It reminds me of the boy who was told to sit in the corner for disobeying 
He did go and sit down, but he said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. The older brother may be at home with the father, but he is still rebelling. He's only, as, uh, only compliant as long as his father is doing what he thinks he should. And as soon as he doesn't, he shows his true heart. Just like the Pharisees, sitting there in self-righteousness, complaining. So when this son, self-righteous, gets the first opportunity, what does he do? He shows the symptom of self-righteousness. He complains because he thinks he deserves more because he's earned it. Two brothers as a way of showing the two basic ways people try and find happiness, fulfilment, even relationship with God. The way of self-discovery and the way of moral conformity or even religious conformity. The younger son represents the tax collectors and sinners. Trying to find true happiness through self-discovery. People who are free to pursue their own goals, their own way. The older brother, as I said, represents the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Yes, I do believe he probably has obeyed everything. Moral conformists believing they deserve a place in heaven. God owes them something because they are moral and even religious. Happiness for them is found in moral perfection and they think they've got it. All of us follow one of these two approaches. Some, the way of self-discovery, it might look a little bit sanitised in our culture. We may not end up eating with the pigs, but essentially we are. Or we're moral conformists or religious conformists, doing all the right things on the outside, but inside just as corrupt and out of relationship with the Father. Jesus is saying both of these approaches are wrong. They're both what the Bible calls sin. Yes, the younger son is breaking all the rules. The heart of it is sin, living as if the father is dead. The father representing God in life. Clearly, he's alienated from the father. And if we're like that, we'll be cut off from the father forever as well. The older son, the older brother, may be at home keeping all the rules but we've seen he is still as alienated from the father as the younger son. His heart is not for the father, but for himself as much as the younger son. He doesn't obey for the father, but for himself and what he can get from the father. You can live life like the older son. Avoiding Jesus as saviour by keeping all the rules. Thinking that if you do that, you have rights. God owes you answered prayer, a good life, 
a ticket to heaven when you die. And you don't need a saviour to forgive you by free grace because you're your own saviour. If you're the oldest son, you believe God should bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person. Every wrong we do is merely evidence of the sin within us and our attitude to the Father, God himself. These two represent the two expressions of that. Being very bad and breaking all the rules or being very good, keeping all the rules and becoming self-righteous. You can be sure if you're going to be preaching on self-righteousness, you'll be found to be self-righteous at some point through the week. If not on the morning that you're about to preach. So as I came thinking about, well, I'm not self-righteous. Oh, gee, ouch. As I came to think about the older son living with all the father has, with no reference to the father, no heart for the father, it's in no heartfelt response to the father, taking everything for granted, only to find myself waking up again, stepping into the home of the creator and not saying, good morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I had a boss, one of my first bosses. Uh, He had a real thing about when you came into the office, you had to say good morning to the people that you came to, whoever they were. So it was a reception you'd come to, and then we'd go down some stairs, and it was a big open-plant office. And he was very clear about expecting when you came down those stairs that you looked up and you said good morning to whoever was there. He really drummed it into us and, you know, dusty, sort of a bit whatever on a Monday morning. You, you weren't always thinking about anything but yourself. But it took real training. It's right though, isn't it? Walk into a room with other people, acknowledge them. If it's the morning, good morning. And so God expects us to live life in reference to him. Acknowledge him for all he is and who we're not. Sin is not just breaking the rules. It's putting yourself in the place of God, just as the sons did in the story. Which leads us to thinking about this one kind of God. If there's two kinds of people, there's one kind of God. What's the father's response right through the story? So the younger son comes home. Father's response, you rotten sod, get out of my sight. No, no, no. The opposite. The father breaks all social conventions. It's always he's, he's lost himself. Sort of just let himself go because of his response to the son. One of... Pure grace. Notice all the actions the father takes 
in response to the son coming home, verse 20. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw. He was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and he's kissed him. All the actions are with the father. Amazing. When was the last time you saw a man act like that? Towards someone who was their enemy. Watching for them, saw them, ran to them, embraced them, kissed them. Remarkable. That's what this father does. It's a picture of God who always takes all the initiative when it comes to us. Whether you're an outright rebel or you're an inward rebel. That's what the father does. He says to this son, you had nothing. You were poor and alone. I'll give you riches and acceptance. It's the real deal. That's the offer. So as much as he saw, filled with compassion, ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, is there anything else he could do? Yes. Throw a party. So he throws the best party possible with all the good stuff. Doesn't wait till last minute to bring out the best. The best comes out first with this father. And that's the father we know as God. God's love and forgiveness is for every kind of sin, every kind of person. Whatever you've become, whatever you've done, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. Whoever you are, whatever you've become, you're not beyond the need of God's grace. So as much as he responds graciously to the younger son, there's still a strong need to exercise that grace even under fire with the older brother, isn't there? That would be as difficult as with the younger son. Living up close and personal and taking you all for granted every day of your life. Yet what happens? The, young, the older brother doesn't go into the party, but the father, what does he do? Always takes the initiative He goes out from the party and he pleads with him as if he's his son because he is. Father goes out and he pleads with him. Verse 31. Son. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Have you ever noticed that in this story before? Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. What an amazing promise. And that promise is for us. God in Jesus was God with us. 
Everything God has, he's given to the Son, and the Son has given to us as he's purchased it for us in his death. You know, prodigal actually means reckless or extravagant. And so you might know this story as the story of the prodigal son. But thankfully, recently, someone's reminded us of what that means, reckless and extravagant, and helped us see that this is the story of the prodigal God. This is the God who's reckless and extravagant in his response to people who don't deserve it. Reckless and extravagant in his grace. Over and over again, whether you're way off in rebelling or up close and taking for granted and self-righteous, whether you're causing that God to, to show grace under fire because you're spurning the hand that continues to give and give and give. This God is gracious and giving. It is, it is grace making an unconditional offer to you. And the question is, will it be received? Now, unlike the younger son, we don't know if this son accepted or not in terms of the older son, do we? It's an amazing end to a story which is just open-ended. It's not a complete happy ending as we turn for the right response of the younger son. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son or daughter. Make me a slave. A humble, right response, but with the older brother, we don't know. Just imagine the response of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the religious, the moral conformists, Jesus, what are you saying? These sinners are accepted by you and we aren't? Well, yes, if you don't turn humbly to me, you're not. Jesus is appealing to them as the Father did to his son. Will you come in? Will you eat humble pie and swallow your pride? There's one kind of God, gracious, generous, initiating and there's one way to that god luke 18:14 jesus sums up that parable saying everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted pictured in this story the humble are in and the proud are out the people who admit they aren't good are on the right track You can only receive the grace of God if you know you need it. You may know the story of the British newspaper who called for a response to the question, what's wrong with the world? And the famous thinker, writer G.K. Chesterton wrote in his own letter in response and said, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Now, there's a man who has a clarity around himself and his great need for God, a humility. He understood the message of Jesus. The younger son came to his senses. He realised the desperate need he had of the father. He returned to the father saying sorry. 
So the first step in coming to the fathers is admitting we are wrong and we have a need. Whether are desperate rebellion or desperate self-righteousness. Turn away from your old ways and your old attitude and the reasons for those things. Trying to earn God's recognition or award. Grace by its nature and very definition is free. That's what grace is. Free. Undeserved kindness towards you. Which is true of God's offer to you because in this situation, in this relationship, he's already paid the cost. Free for us, costly for him and his son in order for us to be accepted unconditionally and be forgiven, someone had to pay the price. We all know forgiveness costs, at least at the level of the hurt that you have to absorb. And so in relationship with God, that cost had to be paid, and it was paid full and complete in the death of Jesus dying in our place. The very person, Jesus, who's telling his story, as the story goes on, as you know, is the very one who gave his life as a sacrificial offering for our sin. So grace is free. It simply needs to be accepted humbly. Religion says obey to be accepted. Jesus says you are accepted by grace. Will you accept this offer of grace and feast with the Father? And if you have accepted that offer of grace, are you rejoicing in thanks that you are now a God like that? Or have you started to shift towards self-righteousness, taking the Father for granted, enjoying all the goodies and not the father himself Jesus wanted to help us examine ourselves to know who we are in relationship to these two kinds of people and ultimately to be reminded of who he is a gracious gracious, generous father let's pray father we thank you so much for the picture we have of you in this parable, the God who is good and gracious, generously initiating relationship with those who are lost and those who are self-righteous. Father, thank you for the reminder that we're never beyond the reach of your grace and we're certainly never beyond the need of your, your grace. Thank you for the cost that you paid so we could have a gracious relationship with you and Jesus. Amen.